we are repentant. We are grateful. We are redeemed. We are prayerful. We are First Baptist Church. We've been shaped by stories our entire lives. When we were younger, they were read to us at bedtime. They come from our teachers in class and friends in the hallways. We see them in our favorite movies and TV shows. We relate to them, visualize them, and share them. Jesus understood this and chose to teach through stories. And the stories of Jesus give life. His stories are called parables, and now we learn from these parables of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. I want to start this morning with a confession. I'm, uh, I'm not very good with change. I struggle a little bit with newness. Um, it's not that I'm obstructive to it. It's not that I try to stand in its way. It's just that in, in my own life, I, 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 I take great comfort in routine. Let's say it that way. I'm a person of routines. Let me tell you what I, show you what I mean. And the older I get, I think that the worse I am about this. For at least 25 years, every single morning of mine, every single morning starts the same way. I roll out of bed onto the floor. I do some specific stretches and exercises that help kind of wake my body up so that I can move around. I get up. I walk to the kitchen. I have some vitamins and supplements that I take I pull those down, there are eight of them. I take them in the exact same order every morning. I go to the coffee maker, I pull down two coffee cups, one for me, one for my wife. I I put a little splash of vanilla in hers and a little splash of heavy cream in mine and then I pour the coffee in and get the the spoon to stir it. I stir each cup 17 times. for 25 years. You may ask, why 17, Blake? I honestly don't know. I think the answer is because that's the right way to do it. (laughs) I take the coffee to my wife. I kiss her. I wake her up. We get up. We sit in bed. We have a prayer time together, Bible study time, and then I go to the gym And I'm not even going to begin to try to explain my gym routine to you, but let me just suffice it to say, it's a a 30-day routine that repeats every single month, and I do the exact same thing on every day of those months all year long. Why do I do that? Because it's the right way to do it. I do it because I'm very much a person of routine, and I struggle if you try to change that, if, if you ask me to change that routine, in any way, I struggle. It, it, it causes tension in my life. And, and I think if you're honest with me, you'll admit that you may struggle from time to time with...
new and with change as well. I think all of us at some level struggle with new, all of us, new ways of thinking, new ways of seeing things around us, new chapters in our lives, new seasons in our lives, new problems, new struggles, new jobs, new dynamics, new environments. All of those things, just by the mere mention of them, they cause just a little bit of stress in all of us and a whole lot of stress in some of us. Today's passage that we're looking at from the parables of Jesus is... uh, is about that. It's about new and our ability or inability to manage the new. I'm going to ask you or I'm going to give you three questions from today's passage as we move through this. There are three questions that I think if we ask ourselves these questions we'll be better for it if we ask them and answer them honestly. And so that's kind of how we'll that's how we'll approach this passage today is we'll, we'll drape it around these three questions. I'm excited, by the way, having now talked about how much I struggle with new, I'm very excited about this new study, though. This is going to be awesome, you guys. Twelve weeks in the parables of Jesus, the most powerful storyteller the world has ever known. How does he do it? And how do these parables work? And, and I know you know this about parables. Parables are, they're not complicated. They're just a simple earthly story about some obvious truth that everybody gets, particularly in his culture. When Jesus would tell a parable, he would, he would start with this truth that everyone in the room would say, oh, well, yeah, we know that, Jesus, of course, obviously. That's clearly the truth. And, and around that truth then, he would tell this story and below that truth, that surface truth and the surface truth, it could have been about farming or about sheep or about food or about work or about family. It could have been about anything, but everyone would have said, yes, yes, Jesus, absolutely, we get that. That's absolutely true. But below that truth then, within the context of his culture and his time and the conversation that he was having, there was a deeper truth, a spiritual truth usually an eternal truth from which we can draw our own applications for us, for ourselves 2,000 years later. And so every time we look at the parables, you'll find that there are these layers to them. There's the obvious truth on the surface. Sometimes we need that explained to us because it may or may not be a part of our culture today. And then below that, there is this spiritual truth. So today's passage is from Luke chapter 5. And I'd like for you, if you would, to stand with me. We're going to read it together. We're going to read Luke chapter 5, verses 36 through 39. This is the parable for the day. Here we go. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins... If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But the new wine must be put into fresh wine skins. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new, for he says, the old is good. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Let's have a seat. 
So before we jump into the passage itself, let me, let me back up and take a running start. Let me frame this up for you. What was going on when Jesus said this? I think that's really important for us to understand what it is he was conveying in that deeper truth. Uh, Luke chapter 5 catches us in a, at a time, in G, an early point in Jesus' ministry. He's really just starting his ministry. But he's far enough along in the ministry that the religious leaders of the area have begun to hear about him and have become to come to see what he's all about. He's getting the attention of all these leaders and he's preaching in a really unusual way, he's preaching with a, an authority that rabbis of that day did not preach with. You see, typically a rabbi studied under another rabbi. And whenever he would teach, he would just say, well, my teacher says, and this teacher says, and that teacher says, and thus is the word of the Lord. And that's the way rabbis taught. Well, Jesus didn't have a rabbi. Jesus just knew the word of God. And he spoke without quoting or citing any other rabbis. He quoted, he, he quoted nobody but the word. And he spoke with authority. And he was giving deep new understandings that had never been mined out of the word of God before. And that was new. That was new. He... Earlier in chapter 5, he healed a paralytic that had been lowered through the ceiling. You know that story. He healed a paralytic that had never walked before. That was pretty new. That wasn't an everyday occurrence among rabbis. But not only did he heal the paralytic, but he dared to forgive the paralytic of his sins. That, that was new. That was new. He began recruiting his disciples, those who would follow him. Every rabbi has disciples. Every rabbi has followers. That's the way it works. That's the way the, the teaching is, is carried on through Judaism. He began to recruit his followers, but he didn't recruit followers the way all the other rabbis recruited them. He didn't look for the religious scholars. He didn't look for people who were already steeped in the scripture and studying it. He didn't look for anybody like that. He went to fishermen who were largely uneducated and a host of other kinds of people that no rabbi would ever have wanted to have as a follower. That, that was new. And the religious leaders grumbled when one of his new followers, a tax collector, threw a party for them and everybody went to the party and Jesus hung out with all of these, quote, sinners and tax collectors and for a rabbi that just wasn't done because that was new. And the religious leaders continued grumbling about this, even pressing his own disciples Asking them, why don't you guys, as followers of this rabbi, why don't you act more serious about your faith? The, 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 the followers of John do this. They fast from time to time. They're serious about their faith. They're, they're not partying all the time. They're not joking all the time. They're not happy all the time. What, what they were saying in that part of this passage when, when they were saying they fast all the time, when they would fast, you guys, the whole point of fasting was to make sure that the rest of the community knew how super spiritual they were. They would, they would put 
ashes on their head and they would wear dark clothes and they would have a furrowed brow all day long. And the whole point of this was to show how very, very serious they were about their spirituality. But Jesus' disciples didn't do that. Jesus' disciples were literally partying at Matthew's house. And they just didn't get it. They didn't get it. That aspect of following Christ, that was, that was new. That was new. So as you move through Luke chapter 5, what you realize is, wow, there's a whole lot of new things happening in the midst of these religious leaders. Jesus was ushering in a whole lot of new And that really is the context for the parable that he tells next. When he tells them you can't tear a piece from a new garment and put it on an old garment. You can't put new wine into old wineskins. There are two different illustrations. We call it one parable. Maybe better to call it a double parable. It's two illustrations fitting into one parable, but they both have the same point. They both have the same point. Let's let's first look at the the surface truth, the obvious truth, the truth where all of everyone would have said, oh yeah, we know that. The reason you don't put a new new garment, a new patch patch from a new garment on an old garment is because the old garment's already through shrinking. It's, It's been washed several times and it's shrunk as much as it is. Now, this is not so much a deal today with today's materials that we use in our culture. But when I grew up, I just got used to my mom buying clothes for me that were two sizes too big because she would always tell me, Blake, they're going to shrink when we wash them and they'll fit fine. And they did. That's just the way we grew up. And that was, that was the way it was for them. So when you take a, a piece of garment that's never shrunk and sew it to one that already is through shrinking, then you wash it. That one that's never shrunk shrinks up and it tears away. Jesus said, you wouldn't do that. And everyone says, no, of course not. And the same thing with wine. Now, I'm not a wine expert. Maybe you are. I didn't know this about wine, but I've learned it through this parable. New wine, as it ferments, puts off gases. Wine skins, as they age, begin to lose their elasticity. When they're new wine skins, they're very elastic, lots of flexibility. And so as that new wine puts off gases as it ferments... It bloats the wineskin and the wineskin stretches and it's no big deal. It's no problem at all. But if you take an old wineskin that has no more elasticity left in it, it's not going to stretch anymore at all and you put the new wine in that, as that new wine emanates those gases and it ferments, it's just going to break the wineskin. Jesus told them that and they said, well, of course we know that. Of course we know that. So what is it then Below those surface meanings, what is the underlying meanings? These leaders were all struggling with all of the new that Jesus ushered in. They were struggling with that. I probably would have as well. It was a lot. It was a lot of new. Many of these religious leaders were so committed to their long-standing interpretations and narrow applications of God's law that when they'd become intractable, right? They'd become unteachable. And so the question Jesus is answering for them, this question of 
Why are you making these choices, Jesus? And maybe the bigger question, why these people? Why would you choose these people? Why would you choose these uneducated fishermen? Why would you choose a tax collector for a disciple? Why, why, why would you do this? What he's really saying to them is, he's saying, I wanted wineskins that still had plenty of elasticity. I wanted people that weren't going to have to unlearn everything that they had learned so far in order to be able to receive what I had to say. These guys had become so unteachable that he, didn't, he wasn't interested in them as followers. He wanted people who could actually hear him and receive it and say, okay, that's a new way of thinking about this. Let's do that. Let's run with that. So the question, the first question that I think we have to ask ourselves when we read this, the first question we have to ask ourselves is have I become unteachable? And I think that's a really fair question in today's culture. Have I become tribal in my thinking? So that whenever I listen to anyone who disagrees with me on this subject, I'm now listening with an agenda. I'm now listening to argue, not to really learn anything. Have I become unteachable? Is it my, is my understanding of spiritual things, here's another part of our culture, is my understanding of spiritual things tied more to the person or personalities from which I learned them than they are to the scripture? We live in a celebrity Christian culture. Am I so attached to my favorite Christian celebrity, my favorite celebrity pastor, my favorite celebrity Christian writer, am I so attached to that person that I'm unable to hear any contrary perspectives on Scripture? Do I read Scripture with an open mind or do I bring my agenda to Scripture? Our tendency, I think, is to first decide, before we even open our Bibles, we decide what we want it to say, and then we open it with that in mind. I really want the scripture to say this. Have we become unteachable? Have I become unteachable? I think that's an important question, but it doesn't stop there. God was doing something among these religious leaders that was new and that frankly they had been waiting a thousand years for and they were in danger of completely missing the fact that it was happening. He was finally doing what all this time they had been waiting for. They'd been waiting for a Messiah and God was finally answering that prayer. And these guys were all in danger of missing what God was doing because it was just so very new. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not saying that everything new that our culture throws at us must be embraced and must be accommodated. I'm not saying that at all. If that were true, we'd be following the wrong leader. We, we don't follow culture. And so I'm not saying that everything new is good. What I am saying, though, is that when God does something new in our midst, we better pack our bags and get ready to go. When God does something new, we have no excuses for not following. I love the way Pastor Don used to always talk about this. He used to always say, if you want to follow Jesus, you can't stay where you are. You have to decide 
Are you going to stay where you are in the, in, the, in the comfort of what has always been, or are you going to go and follow when Jesus leads? When God does something new among us, we are supposed to be following that and embracing it and getting out in front of it. So, so the question I think we have to ask ourselves is, am I alert? Am I alert to the new things that God is doing in my life? Does my prayer time, for example, does my prayer time include a good amount of listening to what God has to say? Or is it just filled with me telling God the stuff that I want him to do? Is that all I pray about? God, heal this person. God, fix this problem in my life. God, give me this. God, do that. God, don't do this. Protect me from this. Is my prayer time filled with me telling God the stuff I want? Or is there a good amount of actual listening? Is it a two-way conversation? I think if I want to be alert to what God is doing in my life, I've got to be willing to listen to what he's doing. There should be a sense of expectation on my part, that God will in fact guide my steps and incline my heart in new ways when I pray? Am I watching for God to show me new things through other people? I think that's why being connected to a spiritual community is a part of following Christ. You can't do this alone. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. You want to follow Christ, you're going to do it in community somehow, some way with others. I love that Danny asks the question every single week, who are you doing life with? Who are you living life with? Who are you doing this journey with? That's such an important question. Are we listening and allowing God to change how we understand things and change how we see things? by what he says to us and does through other people? Are there circumstances in my life that God is using to do something new that I'm missing? We need to be able to see God working in circumstances. Now, we have to be careful with that one. We have to be careful with that one. That, seeing God work in circumstances is not as reliable as hearing him speak through his word or hearing him speak through his people or hearing him speak through our prayer time. Seeing God work in circumstances, you know, can be, well, look at all of these great prices on Black Friday. I think God's telling me I should be out there shopping. We can see God in circumstances anytime we want to. So this one's a little bit tricky, but I'll say this, when the circumstances in our life begin to line up, with what God says in scripture and with what God says through people and with with what I'm feeling in my prayer life, when the circumstances begin to line up, I think we get to say, I think this is an open door. I think this is an inclination that God is leading me to. Are we alert to the new things God is doing in our lives? So the first question, remember, the first question was, have I become unteachable? The second question, Am I alert to the new things that God is doing in my life? The third question is, am I too comfortable with the familiar? (laughs) Look at what he says in verse 39. And no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says, 
the old is good. That's just, a, that's just a spiritual way of saying it's really hard to teach an old dog new tricks. It's a, it's a spiritual way of saying. What Jesus is doing, he's making an observation about humanity. He's making an observation about all of us. He's saying, I know what you're feeling. You're thinking, well, I kind of like the old wine. Why do I have to drink the new wine? The old wine's fine. The reality is that all of us have a part of us. We all have a, a conservative don't change my life part of us that is, that is disinclined to welcome new uncomfortable things. We, we get comfortable with what is familiar in our lives. We're comfortable with that. I'm like that. You're like that. We all have that in us. But what Jesus is saying is, yeah, you can't, you can't be too comfortable with familiar. If, if that becomes your idol, if that becomes what's most important to you, you will miss so much of what I'm trying to do in your life. All of us, I think, are capable of being resistant to change. But all of us are also capable of being comfortable with what's familiar, even when we know that what is out there, what our options is, is better. Even when we know it's better, we get comfortable with familiar. Can you imagine... 1994, Jeff Bezos is starting a little company that he would eventually call Amazon in his garage. Can you imagine being one of the people who told him, that's never going to work? People are, people are never going to, you're never going to be able to build a business with people trying to buy stuff online, Jeff. I wouldn't invest in your company. There's no way. Can you, be, can you imagine being one of the people in 1994 who said that to him? There were hundreds who did, hundreds who he asked to invest. Can you imagine being one of the people who told a young Billy Graham that unless he settles down to pastor a local church, God will never really do a work through him? Can you imagine having missed that vision? Can you imagine being one of the people who told Jesus that this little movement that he's trying to start in Galilee will never amount to anything. Can you imagine having been one of those people? All of those were uncomfortable ideas that people didn't like because they were uncomfortable and they had grown com comfortable with the familiar. So the question is, am I too comfortable with the familiar in my life? These are the questions that Jesus expects us to be asking ourselves. Am I unteachable? Am I? Am, am, am I alert to what God is doing around me in my life? Am I watching for that? Am I expecting it? And am I way too comfortable with what's familiar so that I miss the opportunities that God puts in front of me. Jesus came to make all things new. And whether you are currently following him, in which case there's new stuff coming, or you've never yet decided to follow Jesus, your expectation should be, in either case, your expectation should be following Jesus will make things new. There will be new things.
There will be new chapters, new seasons, new struggles, new friendships, new dynamics. Everything's new. And if I want to follow Christ the way Jesus expects us to follow him, I have to be willing to manage that, embrace it, and take it on. Will you pray with me? Father, uh, we all confess to you, Lord, that we are so comfortable with things not changing, with things staying the way they are. We confess to you, Father, that um, it scares us when you put new things in front of us and it expects new things of us, new understandings, new ways of looking at ourselves that we've never thought about before, new ways of seeing you, new ways of seeing our friends and family and people around us. We confess to you, Father, that we are all inclined to say, well, I think the old wine's fine. I don't, I don't need the new wine. And so, Lord, our prayer is, whether, whether we are people who have already decided to follow you or whether we are people who are just exploring this whole possibility of following you, our prayer is that you will do in each of our lives what only you can do, and that is make us new in all the ways that matter. We love you, Father. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.